0: And good morning everyone, it's very good to uh, have you here. Welcome to St Stephen's this morning and uh, if you're new or visiting you won't know but we've been going through some psalms through the summer months. That's what we've been doing each Sunday, looking at a different psalm each um, Sunday and um, uh, there's no, they're not building upon each other, they're all random so if you're here for the first time and this is just a one-off, don't feel bad. Uh, but I thought what we might do to begin is just to read Psalm 100 ourselves together. Because the psalms are not just meant to be studied and meditated upon, but they're to be sung and said. And so I wonder, this is just a very short psalm, whether we could begin our time by saying it together. Uh, So, a psalm for giving thanks. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter, enter, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. I'm very glad. I thought I must have the extended version in my Bible. <coughs> Psalm 100 a childhood incident that i still remember very clearly occurred when i was form 2 at nelson intermediate school i think that's form 2 is year 8 is that year 8 i'm looking forward. yep uh, i was sitting in my class and our teacher had left the room for some reason saying that he was going to be away for a few minutes and instructing us to remain working quietly until his return don't laugh Personal, perfectly reasonable expectation. No sooner had he left than a friend of mine called Sean Stewart. Anyone ever met a Sean? C-Z-H-O-N. No? Sean, you're not here today, are you? Uh, a friend of mine, Sean Stewart, got up on his desk, grabbed his 30 millimeter, 30 centimeter white plastic ruler and started strumming it uh, as if it was a guitar and started screaming at the top of his voice, shout, shout, let it all out. And by the time he'd finished those words, nearly the whole rest of the class stood up, all crying out, "These are the things I can do without! Come on!" And the class broke into a, a kind of spontaneous rendition of the Tears for Fears classic, "Shout." Unfortunately, our teacher returned much sooner than expected, and uh, most of us saw him coming. Uh, most of us stopped singing and sat down. Those of us those that were standing up and singing. Uh, And so as our teacher walked back into the classroom, it was only Sean Stewart still standing on a desk. It was only Sean Stewart still strumming his plastic white ruler and screaming out the lyrics of Shout. He was grabbed by the jersey, shunted out the door and marched down to the principal's office. And I remember catching up with Sean uh, at morning tea. He had a group around him. Sean's status of legend at Nelson Intermediate was rising at that point. And I asked him how on earth he hadn't noticed that everyone else was sitting down and had stopped singing by this point. How were you so engrossed in it? And he looked at me and he said, Jay, when it's as good as tears for fears, you've got to go full throttle. (laughs) Full throttle. I think full throttle is as good a way as any to bring us to Psalm 100 today. Psalm 100 is is about how we as God's people should act towards him, how we should respond to him, what we should do and how we should do it. And full throttle is not a bad way to kind of sum it up. The inscription that comes before the psalm, and remember before verse 1 that's part of the Bible, it's not been added by editors, uh, is only found here I think in all the psalms. It's a psalm for giving thanks or it can read a psalm for giving praise. So this is about our attitude and activity towards the Lord and you can see that clearly looking through the psalm. It's all about what we should do before him, do to him. Verse 1, we're to shout to the Lord. Verse 2, we're to worship the Lord. Verse 3, we're to know the Lord is God. Verse 4, we're to enter his gates and his courts, giving him thanks and praise. But notice there's more to it than just activities that we're to do. We're told how to do those activities to, in a certain way, to a certain standard. Verse 1 isn't just shout to the Lord, it's shout for joy to the Lord. Verse 2 is not just worship the Lord, it's worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. We're to do these things wholeheartedly. We're to do them emotionally. We're to do them full-bodied. We're to do them full-throttle. So I hope this morning we're going to be encouraged to think about how we shout, how we worship, how we sing, how we praise, how we give thanks and how we do that full throttle, with energy and commitment and passion. This is a psalm that requires more than just head knowledge. It compels more from us than just intellectual assent or agreement with certain propositions or principles. This is a psalm that demands genuine, emotional, joyful response to God and I hope that we're challenged by that this morning. I certainly have been. Now, before we get into the psalm, I want to say a couple of words on the structure And that can be dangerous with the Psalms because suddenly it's all about intellectual and working out. Uh, I'm aware of that. The Psalms are songs, they're supposed to stir our soul as much as feed our brain. So talking about structure can get us bogged down. But I think seeing the structure of the Psalm actually helps us hold on to it, helps us get the truths to it and the rhythm of it so that it will stay in our heads and hearts uh, all the more longer. So let me just say something about the structure. You've got five verses in this Psalm, but I want to suggest the editors made a mistake and they should have put verse one and two together should be one verse. So there's only really four verses or four stanzas. There's verse 1 and 2, then 3, then 4, then 5. So look at verses 1 and 2 and what do you have there? You've got three verbs, three imperatives, three things that we're supposed to do. Shout, worship, come before. Do you see that? Then we move to verse 3. And we find not three verbs for us to do, not three imperatives for us to do, but three reasons, three motivations for us doing these things. And the three reasons are He is God, He made us, we are His. Then you go to verse 4 again, three more verbs, three more things for us to do. Enter His gates, give thanks, praise His name. Then in verse 5, we've got three more reasons God is good, His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues for all generations. So I hope you can see that kind of rhythm, that structure to the psalm. It's helpful to hold on to. Three verbs for us to do, followed by three reasons, then three more verbs for us to do, followed by three reasons. And we'll look at the psalm in that structure, focusing on the first three, because the last one's a bit more self-explanatory, but we'll finish with it. And so let me look at the first section, uh, verses 1 and 2, and I've headed this because I couldn't think of a better title, You Make Me Want to Shout. Please give me a better title than that after the the service. Verse 1 and 2, you make me want to shout. Have a look what it says. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Three verbs again. Shout, worship, come before him. I find these words really challenging because I am an emotionally repressed, self-contained white man when it comes to pra- so there's a reason why when Sandra was doing Zumba at the church concert, most people looked at me to see what I was doing because I can't do any of it. When it comes to praising the Lord or worshipping the Lord or joyful songs, I tend to be pretty low key, not very demonstrative, certainly no rhythm or actions. And I've always been fine with that. We don't all show feelings the same way, so don't look down on others who show feelings differently than you do. Uh, I don't, if I don't shout or raise my hands or move or whatever, I would justify it to myself. Well, I'm focused on the words. Uh, if I was doing all that kind of carry-on, I'd probably be focused more on other people and what they were thinking of me than the Lord and who, to whom I'm singing or praying or whatever else. I'd be so concerned of that, I wouldn't be focusing on the Lord, which would defeat the purpose, so it's good that I'm restrained and controlled. Or so I've always justified to myself. Because I've been convicted this week That I'm quite different when I watch sport. (laughs) How dare you laugh! I know not everyone's like this, we're all different, but when I watch sport, I'm pretty vocal about the sport I'm watching, especially if I care about it. And you can replace the word vocal with annoying or loud or passionate or whatever else. Some of you have watched sport with me here and you know what I'm saying. Next week, on Thursday, the greatest sports competition in the world begins. The NRL, the rugby league, I love it and I can't wait and when I watch it, I'm loud. I shout at the ref, I scream at mistakes, I cheer good plays. It's almost as if I'm more invested, care more about, feel more deeply for a a sport where grown men chase a ball than for the living God who gave his son for me. I've been challenged in this way this week. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. I shout for joy when the warriors score. Once I think they scored. I, I, I shouted. But I'm pretty staid when it comes to praising God who's loved me in a powerful, costly way. I'm pretty muted when it comes to talking to him in prayer or even saying the Lord's Prayer or the creeds together gathered with his people. You can make the kind of illustration go further. I'm different in terms of my attendance. If I'm going to a game live, I turn up early and I'm excited and I anticipate. I don't want to miss the kickoff. I've paid for a ticket. I could be late to church and not really thinking about it before I get there. Worship the Lord in gladness, we're told in the psalm. Remember, worship is not just singing. Sometimes we use those words interchangeably. Worship is not just singing. Worship, this is what worship is. It's responding appropriately to the Lord and who he's revealed himself to be, giving him his worth. And we're to do that in every aspect of life. Everything that we do and who we are, we're to worship the Lord, treat him with the honour and value and worth that he has. So I ask you, is every area of your life worthy to the Lord? Is your language worthy of the Lord? Is your leisure time worthy of the Lord? Is your use of money and time worthy of the Lord? Every area of life, worship the Lord with gladness. But in this psalm, I do think particularly it's talking about when God's people gather together. Do you see the end of verse 2? It says come before him with joyful songs. How did you come before the Lord with joyful songs in the Old Testament time when this was written? You did it when you came to the temple. That's where God was. You come before him together with the other uh, Israelites. So it's temple time that's being spoken of here. The same in verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and the courts with praise. That's the temple. So when we think about this psalm and how we live it out, It's it's, uh, most natural kind of working out is when we're together on a Sunday or at other times during the week. When we gather as God's people on Sundays, here on other days for other reasons, do we shout for joy to the Lord? Do we worship with gladness? Do we come before him with joyful songs? Do we enjoy the Lord? Do we express to the Lord with passion and feeling? Is it full throttle? Does it engage our senses, our entire being? Now, I'm not saying that that will look the same for everyone. Uh, I can't clap and sing at the same time, so I choose to do one or the other. That's all I can do. But I love it when people around me are clapping. I I love kind of hearing it and being part of it, and it will look different to, to each of us. But do we do it with conviction? Do we do it flowing out of our heart? Some of us will dance and sing, some of us will clap and sing, some of us will just sing, some of us will pray uh, kind of very loudly, some of us will hardly pray at all because we're so reflective on it. It will look different in different ways. But will we do it with conviction? There's something lovely about saying the creed as loud as you can with brothers and sisters in Christ and we're all proclaiming loudly, strongly, on our feet, shoulder to shoulder, the things that we believe. There's something incredible about praying the Lord's Prayer together and singing some of the truths that we do. It'll look different. Don't judge other people on how they do it, but I'm asking you, make sure your heart's in it because Psalm 100 tells us to. Often we can leave church on a Sunday and we can complain about different elements of the service. We complain about certain instruments, drums. Uh, we, We complain about certain songs. We can complain that the prayers were long or dull sermon. Perhaps we should focus on whether we were shouting, whether we were worshipping, whether we were participating joyfully in the Lord. That's the first part, you make me want to shout. Second section, verse 3. And I've called this the the creator-creature divide. The creator-creature divide. The psalm then goes on to give three reasons or truths that should undergird our praise, that should be the the cause of us singing and praying and whatever else we're doing with our joy. Verse 3, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. That's very interesting because it goes from joyful kind of proclamation to knowledge. We see straight away that our shouting and worship and songs are to be rooted in the knowledge of God. It's not that we switch off our brains and just go crazy. It's intelligent worship based on knowing him and knowing ourselves. We're reminded who he is and who we are in this verse. Know that the Lord is God. If you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, every week we've seen in the Psalms when the Lord is written in capitals like it is in verse 3, this is a translation of the personal name that God gave to Moses. When he said that his name is Yahweh or it used to be known as Jehovah, it says that Yahweh or Jehovah is God. It's him who made us and we are his. And you notice that? He made us, we are his. I think one of the one of the fundamental problems we've got as human beings with God and with the world is when we get that distinction wrong. He made us, we're His. If we see Him as much less than He truly is, or we see ourselves as much better than we truly are, it, it, it's not a good thing. If we forget that He's the Creator, it's He who made us, and we're the creatures, the creation, and we're His, as soon as you make a mistake there, The consequences are huge. We start thinking we know best. We start thinking God's a bit limited in in terms of what he reveals. We think we know better how to live than the God who created us. We think we know how to worship him in a way that he wants rather than him telling us or demanding from us how we worship him. Those few words put it all into perspective. It's like a mum arguing with her child and the mum says, I gave birth to you. That's it. There's no comeback from that. He is God. He made us. We are his. And us being his means we're not autonomous. There's a lot in the world about you've got to be who you are. No, you've got to be how, who God made you to be and calls you to be. We're not independent. We're not just able to choose whatever we want to do and however we want to be. We owe him everything. And so in our shouting, our worshipping, our singing, we do it his way as his people. There's also something lovely though about being his, isn't it? It doesn't just mean that we rank right under him. We're the sheep of his pasture. And if you were here last week, we looked at Psalm 23 and we saw what a blessing it is to be one of the sheep of the Good Shepherd. But we've got to know him and ourselves rightly. That's got to undergird our attitude and activities to the Lord. So secondly, there's the creator-creature divide. Thirdly, praise him. Praise him. Have a look at verse 4. We're back to three verbs, three things we're to do. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Now remember I said this is probably temple imagery. And so when it says enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, it's calling God's people to come closer to him. Come into the temple. Remember God dwelt in the temple back in the Old Old Testament times in the Holy of Holies. They're saying come closer to God and then give thanks to him and then praise him. But this is where it's different for you and I today, isn't it? What Jesus has done, what he did for you and I on the cross means we no longer have to go to a particular place to worship. John chapter 4 spells that out to us, you remember? And Jesus says, my people no longer have to go to a particular place to worship like the temple or anywhere else, we just now worship in spirit and in truth. The power of Jesus' sacrifice means for us that God doesn't just dwell in a temple anymore, he actually dwells in each one of us by his spirit. And so it doesn't matter whether we're on a mountain or drinking coffee in a cafe. It doesn't matter whether we're driving on a motorway or on our knees, we are close to the Lord. We don't have to enter a physical gate or court anymore. We're close to him. We're in his presence. But remember the psalm is about when we do that together. We gather together as God's people with the Lord who's close to us. And verse 4 goes on to say that when when we're that, we should give thanks and praise. Now, thanks is important, very important, but I think it's more easily understood, what he's saying here. We're not all as thankful as we should be, but we understand the concept. We should be thankful to the Lord who's given us everything. Uh, And I'm not going to spend any more time on it than that, but if that's you and you know you're not thankful, please do work on that. But I wonder if praise is a bit trickier, the idea of praising God. I don't know if you've ever read a book by C.S. Lewis called uh, Reflections on the Psalms. But he writes a chapter on the problem of praise and in that chapter what he does is he shares a problem that he had when he first became a Christian with the idea of praising God. And if you've never had this problem before, you you might be going, well, it's that problem. Let me give it to you in his own words and see whether you can understand it. C.S. Lewis writes, I found a stumbling block in the demand so clamorously made by all religious people that we should praise God. Still more, I found a stumbling block in the suggestion that God himself demanded people to praise him. We all despise the man who demands continued assurance of his own virtue, intelligence or delightfulness. We despise even more the crowd of people around, every dictator, every millionaire, every celebrity who gratify that demand. Do you see what C.S. Lewis is saying? He felt uncomfortable at the thought that sycophants just praise and he felt even more uncomfortable at a God who demanded people to praise him. And he goes on to say in the chapter, it's very interesting, he goes on to say that was one of his problems with heaven because heaven, one of the descriptions of heaven in the scriptures is that God's people will praise him forever. And he's going, oh, it doesn't sound good. But what he does, and I encourage you to read the chapter sometime because he he'll explain it much better than I would, but he goes on to say that praising is a natural, spontaneous thing that all human beings do when we experience or see something beautiful or worthy or valuable. He says we do it naturally in this world countless times and countless ways when we come across something which is brilliant. He writes, lovers praise their mistresses, readers their favourite poet, walkers praise the countryside, players praise their favourite game. We praise weather, wine, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, dot, 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 he goes on and on and on. When we see or experience something worthy, we praise it. In fact, he says, The only people that don't praise are those that are spiritually broken inside. There's something actually kind of wrong. But he he goes on and he says not only do we praise when we see something delightful or beautiful or incredible, he says more than that, we don't just praise ourselves, we encourage others to praise with us. Isn't she lovely? Stevie Wonder. Wasn't that glorious? Don't you think that's magnificent? We, we, we automatically want to share that praise with someone else. And that praise isn't just the response to the enjoyment, it completes the enjoyment. As we praise it and as we share that praise with others, we complete the enjoyment of the thing that we're praising. And it, it's true. Again, I know, sorry to come back to this again, I'm the same when I watch sport. When I watch sport and I, and I see something great happen and I'm by myself... I still shout, I still enjoy it but there's something better sharing it with someone. Did you see that? Did you see what he just did? That is incredible and that praise becomes part of the enjoyment of it and of course the worthier the object, the more the praise and therefore the more the delight and nothing is more worthy than the Lord. Nothing is more worthy than the Lord who created us and the Lord who loves us and the Lord who saves us and the Lord who takes us home and so we praise. We give thanks and praise together, delighting together and so we should. We remember not just the gifts but the giver and we sing his praises. How much of a role does praise, praise of the Lord, play in your life, your relationship to the Lord? Or is our relationship with the Lord really me-oriented? It revolves around me asking for this or asking for help here or do praise will help us orient ourselves to reality with god at the center so thirdly praise him now if you're struggling to praise him i'm not going to spend any time on this but all you have to do is look at the next verse the last verse that we find here here's three more reasons and i'm not going to say much on it because it says it all why praise him why give thanks to him verse five for the lord is good And his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. The God of verse 3 is not just the one who made us and owns us. He's the one who's good and the one whose love and faithfulness towards us never ends. Many people in this room will have experienced love and faithfulness that's been broken by other human beings in this world, not from the Lord. His love and faithfulness for you will not tire. He will not betray you. His love and faithfulness for you will not change or weaken over time. It will burn as brightly and powerfully in a thousand years as it does now and it will not diminish and it will not dull. You and I don't know true good in this world. And the love that you and I experience or give to others is never untainted or lacking in some way. The faithfulness is always limited to some extent in this world, but not with the Lord. His goodness is perfect and unchanging. His love is powerful and effective. And his faithfulness means he never lets you down. He's the one that holds on to you, the one that brings you home, the one who brings good from the evil that you do and experience, and the one who works for good in all things for those who love him. He can be counted on and trusted. He can be relied on and depended upon because he is good. His love endures forever and his faithfulness continues through all generations. And so, friends, when you remember that, do we worship him? Do we shout to him? Do we praise him? Do we draw close to him? And do we do that half-heartedly or full throttle? Does he delight us? Are we thankful to him? Is our relationship with the Lord not just a theory or a proposition, but do we respond to him with the same kind of passion and energy that we put into other things that we love in our lives? That will look different for each of us, but it's about our heart condition, it's about conviction. And Sunday should be a wonderful encouragement in that, as we stand side by side with brothers and sisters in Christ and are encouraged by the way they do it infected by the way they do it, inspired by the way they do it. Sean Stewart said, when you're doing tears for fears, you've got to go full throttle. When it comes to responding to the one who's made us, never mind the one who's given a son for us, how dare we not go full throttle? How dare we not engage our minds and hearts and bodies to praise and worship him, to shout and sing and thank him and praise him. I pray that as we more deeply understand who he is and what he's done, we will more wholeheartedly and with more joy and delight respond to him. I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for the reminder of this great psalm that we have the privilege of praising you We have the joy and the honour of worshipping you and singing glad songs. We thank you that we can do that together as brothers and sisters in Christ, as people who know that we are your children and that your love and faithfulness continue on forever. Father, we thank you that you are a good God and I pray that in response to that knowledge we would more wholeheartedly as individuals and as a church family here at St. Stephen's delight to sing your praises to give you thanks, to pray together, to share your word together and to live that out in all aspects of our lives. Father, we thank you for these truths. Please let them play out day by day in our coming weeks. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.